Now streaming, the Netflix and Swill podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Netflix and Swill podcast, your source for Netflix news, reviews, and booze. I'm Caleb. Uh, and, and I'm Dan, and I'm here to argue with Caleb about the brokenness of a magic card. Yeah, all the all the trade papers about podcasting are, are all a, a buzz uh, about uh, Dan's hot take on a piece from a tabletop card game yeah uh oh it's it's called scavenging ooze okay so scavenging ooze uh it's it's a green uh it has a converted mana cost of two for two two so it's a generically good body and uh for one green mana you can uh, exile a card from your opponent's graveyard gain plus one plus one permanently on scavenging ooze and then, if the card you exiled was a creature, uh, you also gain one life, which I think is a little much. Okay, so in magic terminology, this is what's known as uh, a bear. Like, there was a, a card way back that was just... It was a, it was a bear that was two mana for a 2-2. Two -two. So, like, two mana 2-2s two are known as bears in the jargon. Uh, so this is a, a bear that rewards, like, uh, hating on someone's graveyard. So it does cost resources in the form of mana to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, it requires cards to be in a graveyard to do it, and it only rewards you if there's creature cards in the graveyard. Otherwise, it just is, well. you know, a way to get rid of stuff so they can't recur it. Okay, sure. Uh, it's a fine card. It's, I mean... It's like a mid to late game payoff card because like you have to kill things to get the benefit from it. But I don't know. It's it's fine. So when you have a deck that just goes, oh, I'm going to dump things into my graveyard uh, every single turn. It becomes uh, an extremely difficult thing to deal with because it... it mm -hmm. Depending on how much mana your opponent has, it, they can just continually tap mana, keep removing cards from your graveyard, and pumping itself up. It's a build-around card. It's been reprinted several times throughout the history of the game. And, uh, yeah, it does, you know, it has a juicy payoff, but, you know, any card that you have that just says, like, destroy a creature deals with it. So, I mean, it's... It's a risk and reward. I don't know what you want me to tell you. I'm sorry you lost to it. I didn't just lose to it. I lost to it very hard, <laughs> and I wasn't I wasn't appreciative of it. Look, I yeah. I don't understand the whole and I never and this isn't just you. This is a lot of people who talk about magic. I don't understand to the the concept of dies to removal. Yes, I understand that's a thing, but you could say that about most cards. Like, uh, most permanents are die to removal. That's not a feature. That's just, like, mm -hmm. a fact. 
But the thing is, you have to have the removal. I think the more important thing is, is right. when it and says that's, uh, indestructible, where it doesn't die to removal. I think that's more notable or, than... Or hexproof, where or, you yeah. can't target it with stuff. Right. Yeah. Like, um, the dies to removal gets memed on very hard in the magic community. It's like, oh, like, I there was this huge creature that I couldn't play around, and, like, I ended up losing the game. And everybody's like, well, why didn't you just murder it or cast Doomblade? Mm-hmm. Or, like, why didn't you just counterspell it? And, like, it's it's a meme. But, like, I assume, because you're playing on Magic Arena, like, right. you're doing best of one matches. Which, like, so you're not doing, like, a sideboard or anything. So, like, it... Like, best of one really does reward having a lot of interaction stuff in your decks to be able to deal with threats like that. Well, don't you worry. I'm running four shock now. There you go. Yeah, just as soon as it comes down, shock it, you know? Yeah. Uh, And and then in response, they tap green to exile something and give it a plus one. Yeah, and they're like, ah, fuck. And then the shock doesn't kill it. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I don't know. I I get it though. Like there's in in my history of the game cuz it's like it's very much a luck-based game. Like there's strategy to it and you try to mitigate chance as much as possible, but it's right. still very much a luck-based game. And sometimes you just get hosed and completely blown out. So I've definitely tilted out before <laughs> after getting hit with some bullshit. Yeah. Anytime like it's a card game and there's a certain number of cards in a deck. You're always trying to build a deck around seeing certain cards more often than other cards. Always. Like there there's reasons you run max copies of something and then reasons you co- run like one to two copies of something. And it's because you don't want to see those as often, but they do have their use within the whole strategy of the deck. So like seeing that thing, I think I saw it twice uh, in, in in a row after fucking fighting the 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 virgin mill rogue people, uh, who I yeah. hate and those people need to be burned alive, hate them. Uh, but like seeing that after mill rogue kind of got me pissed off because it was like, oh, I don't know how to play mill rogue because I've never seen it. Like I was getting up in like ranking, so like people actually had like solid decks now as opposed to like, oh, I got this deck for free because I cast twenty five red spells. Right. Magic Arena is very weird because, like, there's a barrier to entry because, like, it gives you free decks to play with, but then, like, it matches you up with, you know, just any any old player who's been playing for God knows how long and has, like, a tuned deck that they spent money on. It's like, it's it's hard to get past the that entry point unless you also are spending real physical money on it uh there like the matchmaking in it is also terrible cuz like it'll pair like based on what's in your deck it'll pair you up with specific deck archetypes sometimes uh and like just pairs you up with shit that's going to completely hose you i don't know yeah so I need to figure out how to play against Mill Rogue because that seems like a, a very popular deck. Uh, I've played against other cycle players, which isn't fun. The cycle mirror match is like impossible. Like it's just like who draws Zenith Flare more. See, I don't think I've actually played another cycle deck. Oh, I did. It was horrendous. 
<laughs> I am glad I got you turned on to that deck, though, because it's pretty strong. It's pretty strong and uh, it's very cheap. I wonder if anybody's still listening. Yeah, it is a budget deck. Um, the Rogue's deck, which is... There's, like, three separate game plans, but, like, people think that the goal of the deck is to mill you out, which, in game jargon, that means, like, force a person to discard their entire deck, because mm-hmm. if you would draw from your deck and don't have any cards left in your deck, you lose the game. The goal of that deck is not to mill you out completely, it's just to get some stuff in there to enable, like, big payoffs later on. But, like, people play it as though it's supposed to mill you out completely. Right. I think I've been milled out by the Rogues deck once, and I've played that game quite a bit. Yeah. But, like, that deck is pretty powerful if there's somebody playing it who knows what the fuck they're doing. But, like, most people just copied the deck list online and put it together and like that's the only deck they have because they just looked up what was good and it's like oh blue black rogues is a good deck it's yeah. top top three I, and i think the thing they don't and think like, about is that milling removes resources from your opponent like if you mill their big payoff cards it's like okay well how do they beat you like because certain decks only have like one or two win conditions and if you make yeah. them mill off those win conditions what can they do yeah, I don't know. That's why I like kind of building around a theme. Like I have a I have a deck that's Landfall, which is a mechanic from the the last set uh that rewards you for playing lands, which is something that you do anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh so like it just kind of builds value by playing the game normally, and there's like a lot of different payoffs that all reward playing lands. Uh and like it's not the fastest deck around, but like if it starts like building up steam, it's very hard to contain. So uh, I've had a lot of success and fun with it. So, yeah. and uh, I had so much fun playing it that I actually bought all the cards and built it in paper as well. So, so that way, whenever the next time you go to an event, you can have somebody cough all over your cards, and you can be like, "Cool, I- I'm really glad I play this game in person." Yeah. Or uh, I can have somebody pose next to my exposed butt crack, which is still my favorite thing that's ever happened in the game of Magic. Uh, there was, there was a guy uh, by the name of Crackstyle on Reddit who just took a bunch of pictures of himself posing next to uh, people whose ass cracks were hanging out at a Magic event, because like everybody was just like fully exposed ass crack. Uh, and like the post blew up on Reddit and he ended up getting banned from tournaments for like two years. Wait, what? That's so stupid. Why ban him? Make people pull up their pants. Right. Well, no, like magic players are notoriously gross. Like the ones who take it very seriously and go to events, uh, from what I've been told, don't know how deodorant works, Yep. uh, are big, dirty slobs and just wear sweatpants with their ass hanging out i don't know so but yeah it was just like the guy lost in like the second or th- third round on the first day and uh was there for the whole weekend so he was just like fuck it i'll just spend the rest of my time doing this <laughs> took pictures of himself next to people's ass cracks yeah doing like prayer hands so uh Yu-Gi-Oh famously i think in like 2019 
introduced the cleanliness clause. So, like, basically, you had to shower and wear deodorant when you went to events. Otherwise, your opponent could call for, like, a judge and be like, hey, my opponent smells like shit. And the judge would be like, <laughs> yep, they smell like shit. They get a game loss or a match loss. Oh, man. If they did that in Magic, the fucking Wizards of the Coast would lose so much money. But, like, it's unfortunate they had to even make that clause because people just, like, I, you go to events and it's just, like, it's not even everybody. It's just, like, that one person who just stinks up the whole fucking place. It's just awful. Yeah. Imagine if that happened at, like, a Pokemon tournament. Oh, my God. The match just ends in, like, child and youth services being called because they're not bathing their children. Ah, uh, man. I'll never forget going to Yu-Gi-Oh! Nationals uh, in Pittsburgh because they had it in Pittsburgh one year. And I was like, fuck it. I'll go. I don't care. So I went. And, like, the the one dude, there was one dude who was standing behind the line who just smelled so fucking terribly. And I was like, what the fuck, man? And this was, like, I think in 2014, so we, they didn't have the cleanliness clause yet. It was very sad. <laughs> I don't know. Part of me really wants to go to a Magic GP. Part of me knows better. Because, <laughs> like, I don't know. I kind of feel gross just going to, like, a local game store and playing. Oh, yeah, those people are... I, no. I like just playing, like, at my kitchen table because I can kind of vet people and decide who I want to be physically present in my home. All right. So that was 15 minutes of uh, trading card game talk. I hope you all enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, to the three of you still listening, welcome. Uh, hit me up on Twitter for some deck techs. Scavenging ooze just to piss Dan off. Honestly, I've been trying to slot scavenging ooze into that deck that I was talking about, but it's the not landfall? like... It's kind of tangentially related to the theme, which is right, like cause it's green. building value and adding, like putting counters on stuff to then like buffing up your creatures. But I think it's a really good yeah. side deck card. It is like it's it specifically would be good in that deck in best of threes, so that I could sideboard it in for like graveyard hate. Yeah. All right. Uh. So this. Uh. So uh. It's time. Uh, since we've lost all of our listeners to talk about, uh, what's our swill? Can we please get some alcohol into my mouth? He hates these cans! Stay away from the cans! Alright, Dan, well, I'm very, very close to, uh, finally being free of the bevy of mini bottles that I still had. And I'm also getting low on my supplies of, uh, things to mix said alcohol with. Uh, so... What I have is Irish whiskey and mango juice, which I don't think any other human has ever combined, so. Probably a true. Uh, I don't know, it's okay, it just tastes like mango juice, it overpowers everything. And Irish whiskey's very sweet to begin with, so. Right. Yeah, mango, mango juice, I'm like, oh, this just tastes, like, you, there's, uh, sometimes, like, the supermarket will have, like, mango pineapple banana juice and it's like oh i just taste mango okay it's a strong juice it's powerful i am simply having a gin and tonic all reliable all reliable uh and with that patrons you'll notice over on your patreon feed that uh gerald makes caleb watch 50 shades freed is up uh i also plan on getting the lord of the rings primer episode up at some point soon 
but I only received the audio this morning, and I put off watching everything until today, so I haven't had a chance to edit anything. I don't know why. I thought you guys recorded on Friday, and Gerald sent everything to me on Sunday. Gerald, you're a fucking monster. <laughs> what a shithead. Must be the first one to post his shit. You remember when I recorded something with him, and uh, like three months went by, and he was like, hey, I can't download your audio file, the link's <laughs> broken. And I said, Gerald, that's three months ago. It got deleted two and a half months ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, from then on, I just left stuff in my Dropbox until I saw it was posted, and I was like, okay, I can delete this now. Yeah, that's pretty much what I do now. It's actually part of the reason I'm a patron of his, is so I know when I can delete shit. <laughs> Alright, uh, let's do some news Oh, shit, it's mail time uh, Our first news story is a downstream crossover event uh, Which is that on March 1st, there is a documentary about Notorious B.I.G. coming to Netflix Yes uh, I saw this and I got very excited Yeah, uh, when... when... Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac were big. Uh, I was a baby still, so I really wasn't ever into their music in in the kind of way that most people are. But, uh, I don't know. This looks interesting. It's like trying to humanize Biggie, which is interesting Mm -hmm. that we're seeing it now. Like, what, 25 years after his death or something like that? It's been a while. So, So, I don't know. It's just weird that we're seeing this now of all times as opposed to you know before no i'm not saying like biggie smalls isn't relevant it's just like what what took so long biggie's eternal i guess that's true we had that painting of him in uh luke cage where he had the crown yeah and and the shot was always somebody walks up to the balcony and then they frame it just so the crown was on their head yeah do you like my biggie photo I have it. I like Biggie. I, I'm excited to watch this, so. Uh, our next story is that the uh, two-year hibernation is done. The rights to the characters Jessica Jones and Punisher have reverted to Marvel. Uh, I think Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and uh, Daredevil all went back, so it now mm-hmm. gives Marvel their full collection to do whatever they want with. For the most yep. part, uh, except for the Hulk. The Hulk still can't have his own solo movie because Universal owns those rights. Yeah. Like, there's no there's no confirmation or really, like, any rumors or anything, but, like, this does give us some hope, I guess, that we could see John Bernthal as the Punisher. Which is something that I very badly want <laughs> to see again. They should just do Punisher into the Punisher-verse and just have... John Bernthal, Thomas Jane, and Dolph Lundgren all in one movie. Oh, don't and forget all the Punisher. Uh, Ray Stevenson. I think that was his name for Punisher. Warzone. Yeah, the the also the other one. Yeah, <laughs> and like they all just like he doesn't teleport incorrectly and is impaled on a lamppost. Oh man, that'd be great because nobody likes that Punisher except for Sam Hurley for some reason. <laughs> They should also bring in the one panel of Punisher that I always reference because uh, it's just it just drips with irony. 
Uh, for those of you who are unaware, it's Punisher driving, and he says the only private party who should have who should have access to assault rifles is me, the Punisher. Which is the just so perfect. <laughs> and then the radio goes a wop bop a loo bop a wop bam boom. <laughs> just another the fucking grease soundtrack. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, I will say, I I believe Kristen Ritter said she's done with Jessica Jones. Like she she will not portray the character anymore. She might have just been saying that before the Marvel dump truck backed up to her house. So we'll find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because remember when Natalie Portman said that dumb shit, and now she's gonna be Thor. Yeah, she's gonna be Lady Thor, and we're all gonna be mm-hmm. like, we're all gonna gobble it up like it's fucking cereal. Yeah, and she's gonna just uh, snort a line of that cage. I mean, she won't have AIDS, that's for sure. Please tell me you understood that reference. Yeah, yeah, Magic Johnson doesn't yeah, have AIDS because right. AIDS is allergic to money. Right, there we go, thank you. Yeah, I've seen South Park. Alright, we're done with that story. Uh, our final story is that an unsubstantiated rumor from a website that I've literally never heard of is saying that Katara will now be the eldest member of Team Avatar in the Netflix original series. Okay. That's Uh, good. So everyone on the internet is saying, uh, who's an Avatar fan, is going, oh, but that undermines the whole arc of her character because she's supposed to be the mom even though she's the younger sister because that's how the character was written. And I just went, but... The person who's claiming this, like the Twitter account claiming this, uh, has 10,000 followers and was retweeted by uh, an account that has 100,000 followers. And everyone just went, this is gospel. And it's like, no, not really. (laughs) Good try, though, everybody. Uh, I'll believe it when I fucking see it. I will believe it when you see it and tell me about it. But then we'll both have to go to Lake Guy. That's true. Um. Let's do downstream. Baby, I can't control the internet. That's my favorite line! So, we already talked about the Biggie Smalls documentary. Uh, It's called I Got a Story to Tell. And we got a trailer for it, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, What did you think of the trailer? It's fine. Yeah, it looks like a music documentary. Yeah, certainly does. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Next up is another music thing. It's called Country Is it Comfort. Music, though? Is it? It's kind of, yeah, it looks like a Partridge Family type. Oh, no, 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 I mean, just, it is country music, and I argue it's not. I, I oh. argue it's, well, just, it's, it's just sound. It's it's that good old down-home racket. There's a reason I'm never going to Nashville, and it's because of country music. <laughs> uh, the show's called Country Comfort. When her career and personal life get derailed, an aspiring young country singer named Bailey, uh, because every white girl in Tennessee is named Bailey, uh, takes a job as a nanny for a rugged cowboy named Bo, because, of course, it's fuck. Bailey and Bo are, like, the iconic, like, modern country names. Sorry, sorry about dunking on white women. She takes a job as a nanny for a rugged cowboy named Bo and his five children. Uh, pull out game week. With a never give up attitude and loads of southern charm, this newbie nanny is able to navigate the family dynamics and be the mother figure they've been missing. To her surprise, Bailey also gets the band she's been missing in this musically talented family who helped get her back on the road to stardom. Uh, 
only on Netflix March 19th. Dan, uh, are you ready for Country Comfort? I'm ready to ignore it because I'd rather watch The Nanny. And Fran Drescher's voice sounds kind of like this. Except for that one part where she eats, like, wasabi, and then she sounds like actually yeah. Fran Drescher. Yeah, when when she uses her real voice yeah. for the only time in the and show. she's like, oh my god, is this what I really sound like? Oh, it's back again, and talks on easily, because she understood. It's funny, it's a funny gag. It's a, It's real funny. It's all improvised. It's very funny, except it was written by writers, so it's still very funny. Uh, uh, no, uh, no, no. The answer is no. Uh, it's <laughs> it, it's a it's a Netflix sitcom. They all look horribly generic. Yeah. Uh, I like their set design in this trailer. Like, there's just a pegboard in the background with some tools hanging on it, uh, so that you can tell that they're. Uh, rough and tough do-it-yourself country types and like i'm looking at the the trailer on youtube right now it looks like there's a uh maybe like a clamp uh like a six inch ruler uh a single pair of like pliers or wire cutters uh-huh. and uh uh an electric multimeter hanging on this pegboard so I don't know what the fuck they're trying to do. Probably nothing. Probably nothing. Uh, probably just trying to make themselves look like, like visually interesting, I guess. And these are all the tools that I have that I know how to use. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Ashley just got triggered because now she's thinking of that fucking <laughs> Tim, Tim, Ta- <laughs> Tim fucking Allen stand-up thing that we watched for some fucking reason. Yeah. Uh, speaking of perplexing trailers, uh, next <laughs> is the official teaser for Dota Dragon's Blood, a video, a show based on the video game Dota. Specifically for Dota 2. Yeah, this is a thing that's happening in collaboration with Valve. <sighs> they can't make Half-Life 3, but they can rip off fucking Castlevania. So I looked it up. And I was like, oh, this looks like Voltron, Legendary Defender, in terms of animation style. Looked it up. Uh, it's done by the people who did Voltron, Legendary Defender. So that's exactly why it looks like that that show. Yeah. Get ready, Dan. Oh, I'm ready. Vi- video game shows and movies are coming. Uh, superheroes have almost run their course. Mm-hmm. Uh, video games are what's next. Every oh, video more. game will be a movie. I don't want. Uh, there, I don't want movies. There will be a Pong movie. There will be a Qbert movie. Oh yeah, that was called Pixels. Yeah, but like a dedicated one. Oh okay. Uh, you remember when they made a fucking movie based on the board game Battleship? Yes, I saw that in theaters. That was weird. Like, like the pre- the premise of it. <laughs> the premise of the movie is that like the aliens jam their like radar detection software or whatever mm-hmm. so like they have to guess and visually confirm hits <laughs> on the alien ships see there was a there was a point in time where basically i went to go see movies to see liam neeson say things so like if you remember clash of the titans i basically went to go see liam neeson say the phrase release the kraken uh for battleship it was literally 
I want to see Liam Neeson say, you just sank my battleship. Did he say it? No, it, it, he didn't, which Aww. was the most disappointing part of the movie and why I ultimately failed it. Uh, if, he, if he had said it, it was a 10 out of 10. Uh, Rihanna's in that movie for some reason. She is. Yeah. Also, I believe they, they worked with the Chinese because everyone went, oh, Battleship? Who's going to finance this? And China was just like, yes, we'll take your fucking capitalist money. The point is, don't trust China. Movie. I don't know. This looks okay. Like, I, I, I'll probably check it out because I like the animation style. And uh, Yuri Lowenthal is the main character. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, Yuri Lowenthal voices uh, Spider-Man in 2018's Spider-Man on PS4 and PS5. Lest, and also, and somewhere on the scale of best to least, uh, is the official teaser for Sky Rojo. The bullet has begun its journey. One month to go for Sky Rojo. Uh, this trailer is, uh... A bullet flying in super slow motion and smashing into things. What is this show? No one knows. No one knows, but it's Shooting bullets. Yeah. Uh, it's done by the people who created Money Heist. So I think that's the, the big thing is that, oh, we like Money Heist. Maybe we'll like this show. So I don't know. Uh, I have no idea what I'm looking at here. Yeah, I don't I don't understand like the super obtuse marketing. Like I forget what the thing was in uh in Bojack Horseman, but it's like they're trying to promote a movie or something, but like the advertising doesn't even say the name of the thing and it's just like the the like furthest like tangential relation to what the thing is they're trying to advertise and everybody's right. like super perplexed by it. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I, I I think we saw a teaser for this already. We've now seen the official teaser, and I feel like we're going to need an official trailer in order to even understand what the fuck is going on for this show. And that's too much marketing. Like I, I shouldn't feel compelled. and I, Compelled is probably the wrong word, but I shouldn't have to watch three different things to understand what the fuck is happening. Right. I should watch uh, something one time, understand that uh, Iron Man isn't going to be in it, and then uh, assume that Spider-Man Homecoming is just going to be Spider-Man with no Iron Man and not have the whole suit taking away thing ruined for me, and then <sighs> I'm still fucking mad. <laughs> That's it. That's everything. Yeah. And that'll move us over into Quick Hits. Where I use an upward inflection to see if Caleb has anything that he wants to talk about? No, nothing this week. Okay, uh, I will slightly mention then, uh, without using a sound drop, that uh, Bubby has been watching Community on Netflix, and I've caught a few episodes, and that show is really funny. Uh, it, it, it's Dan Harmon before he wrote Wubba Lubba Dub Dub, and then uh, watched a fan base say, this is the smartest show on television, uh, all while eating themselves right. like an Ouroboros. I'm a pickle. I'm a pickle. The Szechuan sauce. I want that Mulan McNugget sauce. All right. So with that, we're going to cut into a quick break for a promo for ourselves because uh, we need you to do some certain things for us, like review us and all that good stuff. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Nate from the Simpleton Review Podcast to review 
I care a lot. The Netflix and Swole podcast is brought to you by our patrons. Gerald Morris, Bill Sutton, Nick Haskins, Ashley the Bubby Gorski, Ben Kiefer, Paul Prezula, Daniel Henderson, Julio Oliveira, Jimmy De La Rosa, Chris Yaney, Brianna Petty, Nate Wade, Alan Gallarisi, Duty Dutram, Casey Moore, The Nerd Revert, and Dan's Mom. If you would like to become a patron of the show, find us at netflixandswill.com slash Patreon. Buy some shit. Visit netflixandswill.com slash merch. Leave a review and tell me how good I'm getting at public speaking. Visit netflixandswill.com slash Apple Podcasts. Thanks for letting us live our dreams of being professional idiots. We now return you to your regularly scheduled banter. Welcome back, everybody. Caleb! We're glad to welcome uh, a new guest to the podcast, someone who has never been on before after a string of nothing but repeat guests. It is Nate Wade from the Simpleton Review podcast. Nate, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Yeah. I can't think of any show I'd rather be on. Uh, Your own, probably. (laughs) uh, Yours is more fun. You need to expose yourself to more shows. Burlesque. Strip. (laughs) Monster trucks. All right, cool. That joke really landed. Uh, Today we're reviewing uh, (laughs) I Care A Lot. So Caleb, hit him with all the vital statistics. I Care A Lot is a brand new comedy crime thriller film on Netflix. It is a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb. A crooked legal guardian who drains the savings of her elderly wards meets her match when a woman she tries to swindle turns out to be more than she first appears. Uh, this is written and directed by Jay Blakeson, which is the real name that he decided to use for his uh, Screen Actors Guild membership card. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and it stars Rosamund Pike and Peter Dinklage. And as always, we'll start with our guest. Give us uh, your initial thoughts. My initial thoughts was I I still don't, I haven't figured out whether or not I actually like this movie or even remotely like this movie. Um, I had entertainment parts. I felt like I was watching like a 1980s flick though there for a while. The music and the way it was kind of set up just made me feel like I was watching something from the eighties a little bit, but man, some of the tropes they had in it were really kind of annoying. Like the fact that the, the main character, her name was Marla. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, I mean, of course she has to be a man hater, right? And you know, gay, of course. I mean, so it's not just like, really, do you have to go for all these just really like grab these tropes right out of the air and just use them for your, I don't know. It just seemed dumb. And of course the, the See, I didn't really think that like they were going for the man hating lesbian thing. I thought she really? was just, just kind of a dick. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of felt like she could have been any gender at, at all and just been like, Oh, you, so you just want to be an asshole. Got it. That's true. Uh, and I guess that probably was my biggest, I don't like shows where I absolutely hate every single character in the show. There is no protagonist <laughs> in this movie whatsoever. No, and I think uh, I think the closest thing we get to a hero is Peter Dinklage, which yeah. kind of speaks volumes in itself. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, it is it is an anti-hero movie or like just a straight up villain movie. I guess would yeah. probably be more accurate, right? I don't want to call it a problem, but like it is you you do lack some relatability when the quote unquote protagonist of your movie is uh a, a career criminal who runs both drug trafficking 
dr- uh, drug trafficking and human trafficking rings. Uh, yeah. And, and you feel bad for him because you want to see him get his mom back. Like that's that's uh <laughs> that's a rough one, bud. It really is. I guess I'll go next. Uh, Rosamund Pike should only play sociopaths in anything she ever does. Uh, her career-defining role to me was her in Gone Girl. And while I think this is a step back from what she did in Gone Girl, she is also a very convin- convincing sociopath, uh, and she just needs to just lean into that and just be that character for mm-hmm. the rest of her life. Yeah, she was quite good at it. I think that the most unsettling thing uh, about her in this movie is her haircut, because <laughs> every hair stops at like the exact same spot. It's just like a straight line around the back of her neck, and it's weird. Because, like, I don't know, it's like she has the hair in the front, like, pulled back behind her ear, but it all just ends at the same place. I don't know how the physics of that works, but it's like a weird haircut. Very precise. I don't know. Well, maybe that was just trying to portray her, like, I mean, she was definitely a perfectionist. Everything she did would had to be meticulous, right? To get mm-hmm. away with this this uh, this rouge that she had. So maybe that was kind of part of what they were trying to portray in her character. I, I guess it's just it's it, it is a weird movie because like you watch it and like the first thirty ish minutes are like after school special type where it's like <laughs> hey like we we get introduced to this world and how and how she works because it's like hey uh, I've taken over as legal guardian of uh, this elderly woman and now no one can see her because I said so and now I get to get all her money and uh, there's nothing anyone can do about it legally yeah. The the first half of this movie is like Not Without My Mother starring Sally Field. Does that <laughs> joke track? Does anybody remember that? No. No. <laughs> okay. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Maybe I should. I'm probably older than all you, but I don't get it. Uh, there was, I don't know, it was kind of like a big thing, like a high point in Sally Field's career, I guess. She did a movie called Not Without My Daughter. Uh, oh, okay. She married like, uh, it's like uh a middle eastern hate movie because like she marries a middle eastern guy and convinces them to move to i think it might be iran or something but basically like because of law there like she's his property and like she's trying to because she's an american citizen and she's like talking to people from the embassy and trying to get back to america but like she has to leave her daughter behind hence the movie's title not without my daughter it's kind of a trash tier movie. Sure. Sounds thrilling. Yeah. Uh, Caleb, what did you think? Yeah, no, I, I thought it was pretty good, actually. I don't know. It's um, my expectations and desires for what the plot did shifted many multiple times throughout the movie. Uh, but I'm pretty happy with how things wound up, I yeah. guess. Like, uh, the way the movie ends, I kind of feel like I, I got to see my... I, like, I got to have my cake and uh, eat half of my cake. That, that's fair. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. I mean, I liked the movie. I thought it was well done and, and well directed. Um, and it, it does leave you guessing kind of what's going to happen until the very end. And there was that moment there with maybe five or ten minutes left in the movie where I just wanted to throw my freaking phone up against the wall because I hated it. Hmm. But then, like you said, I mean, there was this kind of like, okay, now I feel a little satisfied. Yeah. I I think this this could have gone into dangerous territory where I would compare it to uh, 
the movie The Laundromat on Netflix, which was basically about like the um the the Panama Papers scandal that everyone totally forgot about. Uh, and that's kind of like the first ha- like the first 20, 30 minutes of the movie kind of felt like that almost. But then it devolved into I don't know, devolved is the wrong word, but like it turned into like this kind of thriller where like legal thriller plus crime thriller equals this thing where, uh, you know, Diane Weiss gets locked up in uh, an old folks home and uh, someone doesn't want her there and they spend the rest of the movie trying to get her out. Diane Weist? I thought you said Diane East. It's Diane West Patrick. You're fired <laughs> again. I don't know what the statement this movie's trying to make is, or if it's even trying to make a statement, because it seems like the movie's trying to say something about the nature of big business in America and its ties to corruption and, and uh, organized crime. Uh, and I kind of think that, like, what they might be saying about that is like the way to stop it is just with a gun, which is kind of horrifying and repugnant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't know your thoughts. What is the, the point of this movie besides entertainment? I don't know what the point is. I mean, it, it felt like a good suspenseful movie, but I'm not sure, you know, where he was coming from or yeah, exactly what kind of idea he was trying to get across because it's a scary prospect, though, to know that there yeah. might be some way where somebody can come and just basically lock you up and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Uh, that premise alone is freaking scary, uh, you know, mm-hmm. especially the older I get. I th- I feel like that's just something I do with certain movies. Like, I'll I'll try to look really deep into, like, oh, what was the author's intent? And they weren't really trying to do anything. It's just a script that they wrote. I disagree with that just because, like, the first, like I said, the first 20, 30 minutes feels like, hey, I'm trying to educate you on how the legal guardian system for elderly work, like, elderly people works at the beginning. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to take that education and I'm going to turn it into a movie. So, like, that, like, for me, ultimately, like, the, the, the movie feels, like, a little long. And I think it's because of that, like, initial setup and then like it just kind of like drags and drags and drags but like it also feels like this is like how you would fight it in the in the sense of like legality like you'd go to court uh multiple times to try to like determine if somebody is you know not mentally fit or not so like like uh like we have uh, the courtroom scene with uh her and the lawyer guy and they're trying to argue towards the fact that like hey these people like like Diane Weist is mentally sound. She's totally healthy, you know, relatively for being her age. So, you know, why is she why has she been handed over as a legal guardian or a legal ward uh, to this random this random woman? Like, it makes no sense. Uh, so, like, I think it's trying to do that, but also tell a story that the the scriptwriter like the screenwriter was just like oh i can't tell this story unless i explain everything so i may as well educate people first i don't know i it's bringing up that lawyer uh bit though i just there were some of these characters though that just felt so um they were cheesy like there was no debt like the lawyer i mean again it just felt like this trope of a lawyer where it just is like okay this guy is 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 uh you know, of of course he's going to be pompous and I don't know. It just, it kind of reminded me of, uh, of, uh, 
Saul Goodman from uh, Breaking Bad just a little bit in the way he acted. And it just it just felt tropish to me. I don't know. Some of these characters were pretty bad. Sure. I don't know. I, I he he basically had two scenes. I didn't think about him really. That that character kind of reminded me of the dude from Die Hard, who's like the business guy who's going to try to talk Alan Rickman out of killing everybody. Yeah, that's a good point. Like Hans, Booby, I'm your <laughs> yeah. white knight. I like this movie. I I do think it's a bit too. I think it's a bit too long. Like it's it's two hours, and I don't know. Like the the middle section totally drags for me. Like from up until from like. When Diane Weist is put in the nursing home to about, like, 15 minutes before the end. Like, that that middle felt like there was a bit too much fat on it and probably could have been trimmed down a little bit. I don't know where, but I, I looked at it and I just went, no, I'm, like, I'm, I, was, I was looking at my phone too often, all this stuff. I, I overall enjoyed myself, but I do think it could have been parsed down a bit. They tease out that Marla and her partner are like in a lot of danger because they fucked with a Russian crime family. Mm-hmm. Uh and like they tease out the fact that there's danger there, but then like don't show it to you for quite a while. And then when they do, like they're both just hilariously outmatched by it. So Sure. And then like they are like next to conveniently okay after it like after they're completely outmatched and it seems like everything's going to go wrong for them everything just turns out fine yeah yeah Yeah. that was a problem i had too it's like okay uh both of them you know are going to be in this situation and both of them seem to be just fine after it's done just doesn't make any sense to me it kind of it seemed like a pulled punch yeah, it does. One of the things you do when you're like writing a script or when you're writing a book is, uh, you know, they tell you to kill your darlings. And of course, I'm not sure who was the dar- <laughs> who was the darling in this movie. That's part of the problem. I guess Asa Gonzalez, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. yeah, like you said, like there's really no true likable character. Like the the one likable character we have is possibly Diane Weist. But then we find out that her son is part of the Russian mob and she's yeah. complicit in it. So it's like, eh, even she's kind of like, eh. So, like, I guess you're feeling bad for her because she's basically been kidnapped. And that's, like, the the thing. Like, if you switch this movie around and Peter Dinklage was your main character and basically the whole movie is him trying to get his mother back from this woman who kidnapped her, it's basically him doing nothing for about 50 minutes and then all of a sudden, oh, we have a, a scene where like he, he sends her off to die but then she just comes back at, totally fine out of nowhere because uh, no one does their job right. Like, flip, flip the script, it, it's just as clunky and not as well thought out as the original part of the script. True. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, so let's give some ratings before we dive into spoilers. Nate, what would you give this movie out of five? You know, I'm going to have to go with the two overall. Oh, wow. Uh, it was slightly, yeah, it was slightly entertaining. I mean, I did enjoy the suspense, but again, like I said, I didn't like the tropes and I hated every single character, whether it was the main character, her girlfriend, the bad guys, the mom who's in the, the nursing home, the doctor, the person who runs the nursing home. I hated them all. And I just, how can you get into a movie when you hate them all? It's just, yeah. So a two overall. 
Uh, I'm going to go three and Hyph. You know, despite the fact that I do hate every character. I normally, I, I'm normally fine with those. Like, uh, House of Cards is probably one of my favorite Netflix original shows. And I despise basically everybody on that show, with the exception of, like, one or two characters. Because they're all monsters. Uh, <laughs> this was fairly compelling. Uh, except for, like, a bit of draggy parts in the middle. But, like, for the most part, a lot of good engaging stuff. And, I mean, Rosamund Pike, fantastic again. Loved her. Yeah, um, yeah, and I'm right with you, Dan. Like, I, I also don't like the characters, but like, you know, most, like, a lot of characters, like a lot of people, are just not likable, and some stories are about the shitheads. Uh, so I am also going to give this movie a three and a half. Perfect. All right. Well, on the other side of the spoiler break, we're going to talk about the very end. So, uh, if you haven't watched, I care a lot. Uh, you clearly didn't care a lot about the movie. Thank Let me you. just play the ending for you. No, no, I don't want to see how it ends. Okay, I could describe it. Um, imagine you're in a room. No, no, like... no, 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 I don't want to know how it ends. I haven't seen the beginning uh, yeah, yet. Yeah, but the ending's awesome. So if I could just Son play the... Son of a bitch, this is what you always do. You always spoil stuff uh, for me. No, I don't. And if I could just play the ending for you real quick, then we'll discuss that. Motherfucker, you always spoil everything before I get a chance okay, to see it. Okay, you sound like a crazy person right now. Uh, so first, let's talk about when she gets... Captured by the bad guys, sure, or the worst guys, I guess. Uh, she has like the little confrontation with Peter Dinklage where they like suffocate her with a plastic bag and you know, all this shit. And she's still saying, like, hey, you know, just pay me off and I'll be out of your life or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's like, yeah, fuck that, kill her, make it look organic. And uh, they make it look like she was drunk driving and. Uh, went off the road in her car and landed in what appears to be a, a quarry that is flooded uh, and is going to drown. So, what do you think about that? Was that pretty horrific, or was that like, uh, were you kind of fist pumping in the air, like finally she's getting her comeuppance, or? Well, so my first question is, what what did they pump her full of? Some sort of drug? Do we know what it was vodka. that they put in her? Was it vodka? vodka was that what it there, was? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I All think right. I uh, they, part. like, stuck the tube up her nose or whatever and, like, down. Okay. Like, basically did, like, a feeding tube and, like, syringed it right into her stomach. Oh, Rather than, so, like, trying to force her to drink it or something. That was supposed to basically give her some sort of alcohol poisoning before they threw her in the water? Was that the deal? Just to make it so it would show up on a blood talk screen. Uh, at, at first, I thought that what they were doing was... Uh, I thought they were going into her lungs and just pumping water into her lung oh, to so drown fucked. her, and then they would drive her car off so that she was already dead, and they would just find her, but... Yeah. That would make the end of the movie too easy, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, you knew from the moment that they started to, you know, go through the process of trying to kill her that it wasn't the end of the movie. I mean, as you said, it would have made it way too easy if she would have died right there. Uh, so you knew she was going to have to break out, but I just it, it felt so convenient that she wakes up and she's like, oh, my God, I'm in the water. Let me break the car apart so I can get out. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And that scene takes like three minutes and she's yeah. very active during it. It's and it's also very poorly edited because it like cuts to black like every every few seconds. And I'm like, what are the what is this editing style? Mm-hmm. Like, just just show the thing like, yeah, you can you can cut between different camera angles, but don't cut to black and then cut the different camera angles. It makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. And if she was pot full of vodka, she wouldn't be so uh, alert. Like you said, Caleb, she'd she'd 
she wouldn't be able to maybe think as well. I mean, she might be able to get out, but it would take her a little bit longer, I would think. I don't know. I think adrenaline is still the more powerful drug. Yeah. True. Like whenever I... Whenever I've been in danger or when there's, there's a, a heightened situation, the adrenaline kicks in and it's like the alcohol completely yeah. wears off. Like yeah. like when Bill got punched in the fucking face on Halloween. Caleb, I was thinking of the exact same situation. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't going to say it. Eh, I'll say it. It's right. fine. Yeah, there was that time when Bill got punched in the fucking face on Halloween and we all got hopped up on adrenaline. And then I was like, wait, we shouldn't fight here. We have no idea what's going on. And everyone was like, <laughs> oh, I guess we'll listen to Dan. And I was like, what the fuck just happened here? <laughs> I, I don't know. My I think my big thing was like she knew exactly what to do it, 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 like in that in that point in time. And it's not even that, that she was drunk. It was just like she knew exactly how to proceed with what was going on. Like e- there was even that point where she like sticks her tooth in milk and i was like i don't understand this and then yeah yeah very clearly yeah at- that's that's what you do with like a broken off tooth you put it in milk i guess which actually Did i they- think uh i think ice water is better i think the milk is more of like an old wives tale type thing but no. actually i had to look that up when i saw that and it does say that milk keeps the tooth from uh rotting or well, something because of the oxygen well yeah it keeps the it keeps the nerves from dying because like yeah. the nutrients go into it or whatever the cells the cells stay active so did she had swallowed the tooth when she was punched in the face is that when she lost the tooth oh no, no, no she it was pulled it, out. it was like knocked loose and whenever she like swam to shore oh. she's like oh shit something's like rattling around in my mouth and actually pops the tooth out Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it okay. was it was one of those weird things where I was like, "Wait, really? You know how to do that? Like that? Like if John Wick did that, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that makes total sense.' But like, <laughs> this is a woman who is a a quote unquote professional caregiver. Like, why would why do you know that? Yeah, I don't know. I've definitely heard of that before. Like, that's something that I would think to do. So, yeah. I can <laughs> buy the character doing it. Sure, and, and maybe that's just me being like, "Oh, it's a woman knowing how to do things. How dare she?" <laughs> yikes I'm, hey at least i'm admit, admitting my own biases <laughs> all right fair enough <laughs> so let's talk about the very end where uh her and peter dinklage enter a partnership uh where he like basically gives her gra- uh, uh some money in order to start a corporation of caregivers where he's like yo your caregiver grift uh great idea let's corporate let's 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 make this a corporate strategy and uh make shit tons of money from it yeah, it was uh I it was a definitely a twist. Um I'm not sure I could say I saw it coming, honestly. Maybe I should have, but maybe I'm a little too naive when it comes to that kind of things, but I don't know. Did, does does it feel like it fit the story, right? I don't know. I just I've problems uh, with this movie fit in that the character. I don't know. Like she's kind of doing this this interview about like, "Oh, you're Forbes 40 under 40 and yeah. you know, a big important like massive success story and like tell us who you are and she's like oh i'm just a person who cares a lot mm-hmm. uh but like i don't know like it kind of made me think of like uh tony stark before like he became iron man trying to justify the existence of weapons like it's just very cringy right 
And she's just like smiling throughout the whole thing because she, she just knows that people are reassured by smiles. And it's like, oh, look, I'm a I'm big success story. I, I'm a woman who exploits people and therefore like I make billions of dollars from it. It's like, ah, cool. Great. What a what a ringing endorsement of our economic situation here in the United States, which yeah. like. I liked I, I understood like and, you know, with the whole Wall Street thing, it kind of shed a different light on it for me where it was like, oh, OK, this is kind of what they're doing ish in a way like they're they're saying, hey, I make lots of money by exploiting you, the poor people. And the poor people go, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then just move on with their lives. And, and I feel like she's trying to do like a, a similar thing there. I don't know. It, it, I, I think it was, of course, she's all she is is about ambition. So, of course, she's going to pursue it, even if she hates the person that's offering her that uh, opportunity to do so. She's definitely going to pursue that. Uh, and, and then, of course, the, the very final sequence of the movie where Macon Blair, uh, who is the, the son from the beginning of the movie, who I could have sworn was wearing a MAGA hat, uh, was not wearing a MAGA hat, uh, and just shows up and <laughs> shoots her in the fucking chest. Which, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about that sequence. Why? I clapped my hands. I just went, oh, we're killing her? Okay. Like, yeah, she's a monster. But, like, as you guys said, is the correct option here when we disagree with something to just shoot somebody in the fucking chest? To destroy it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, it's horrible. I I don't in any way condone murder or agree with the character at all, but, uh, it, it's also kind of poignant that, like, if you take everything from somebody, uh, they can still fucking kill you. Yeah. Well, and I, I guess it goes back to, like, the beginning of the movie, where, like, he's like, hey, bitch, and, like, threatens to rape and murder her, which is fucking horrible. Because, like... It's just it's just rape and murder, but like, yeah. she's like yeah. I'm not like you don't you don't feel you. good about the character at all or right yeah like he stands up to her he also is a terrible fucking person right and <laughs> I will reiterate a murderer yes now a murderer uh, and a man who uh you know made threats to a woman who you know fucking ruined his life but whatever like. <sighs> She was just like you're. You have nothing. Like, like all you have is your, are your threats, and and they mean nothing to me. And then his his threats come true, and you know, it it looks like she dies. Does she die? Probably. I mean, probably. But it's still. I think it's still a little open ended in terms of like, despite the fact she got shot through the heart and making Blair's to blame. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. I I I think she died. I do, but I. I think, I think uh yeah she she fucking took that center mass i i have to admit i smiled i i kind of had the same reaction as you dan that was like oh well that was i guess kind of unseen but at the same point i kind of smiled i mean would we have felt any better if she just got into that car and finished her sentence and saying whatever the fuck we want and drove off no no but that also like the the gunshot feels like a crescendo and like in a way comeuppance for her wicked deeds. Like I think if she just kind of would have gone away at the end of the movie, that would have been like extraordinarily anticlimactic. So Yeah. Yeah, the, I feel like the only other way they could end that movie 
if she didn't accept the offer was that she just fucks off to a different part of the country and continues her grift because like there's no real way that people are going to band together to stop this thing unless they're made aware yeah. of it and maybe people will be will be aware of like legal guardianship now and, and yeah. ultimately maybe that's the the entire point is that like legal guardianship is a problem and, and how <laughs> people can abuse the system is a problem yeah, maybe. It's kind of an extreme way of showing it. Well, sure. Yeah. I uh I just wanted to point this out. The uh the guy that shot her is uh the dude from Murder Party, and I it love is. that movie. Uh Jeremy Sol he frequently collaborated with uh Jeremy Sonier. Like he was in uh Blue Ruin, Murder Party, mm -hmm. and uh Green Room. I've <laughs> I've only heard of one of those movies. Oh. Well, I think they're all on Netflix, actually. Are they? I'll have to check them out. Yeah. Last I remember, all all the Jer the Jeremy Sonier stuff is on Netflix, so uh, you should definitely check out uh, every one of those except for Murder Party, which I I don't like. That's such a weird movie. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I like Murder Party. We watched it at a uh, Dozer Fest, and I just went, "Oh, okay. Uh, never mind." Uh, I thought Jeremy Sonier was like the next savior of of the world, and I was like, "Oh." Well, at least you started somewhere and moved on to something else. Whatever. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think there's a good way, uh, and by good, I mean, like, I don't think there's a satisfying way to end this movie for the viewer. Uh, unless, like, everybody just went, oh, it's that signal from Kingsman where we all get our heads blown up and all their heads blow up mm -hmm. at the same time. Like, there, there's just nothing that's going to be like, oh, you know... <laughs> What a what a wonderful lighthearted ending that makes me feel good about myself. Yeah. yeah. It's like uh if you don't know how to end your movie, just have the main character get shot or, you know, have it be uh nine eleven and they're in the World Trade Center. <laughs> that's a callback to last week's episode. And it's true. And I think that's probably what he did. It feels like he grabbed the low hanging fruit and just said, Well, I don't know where to go from yeah. here, so let's just kill her. If if I ever write a script, uh, the end will be the main character getting shot uh, on the 89th floor of the World Trade Center on the morning of September 11, 2001. <laughs> that's, During that's, an eclipse. That's that would good. be epic. That's yeah, that would be perfect. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else anyone wants to say about the movie before uh, we, we leave it behind forever? <laughs> I think I pretty much hammered this one into the ground. Okay, Caleb. Yeah, um, it's a fine movie. It was entertaining. I will never watch it again. So that's true. There's that. Uh, I very much did enjoy Peter Dinklage in his role, though. I didn't really talk about him too much, but uh, I like him as the as the crime boss. You know, I think he plays that archetype very well. Yeah, and I think the other refreshing thing is that they never really called him out for being a little person. They just went, oh. He's just a regular crime boss, and everyone just treated him like a normal person, which is what you should yeah, do. Yeah, no, nobody had to be like, oh, little guy trying to act tough. Oh, bet you're real yeah. scary. Yeah, no and one went, oh, you're an angry little by, elf. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, not a single Christ. joke. Yeah, which, like, I appreciate. I don't feel like, yeah. you know, we need to call out Peter Dinklage for being small every movie or every show. I'm I'm pretty good if we never have little person as a punchline again yeah game of thrones really 
really wore that out. All right. Well, Nate, thank you for coming on, despite the fact that you didn't really particularly care for this movie. Well, I appreciate you giving me the chance to come on your show. Uh, tell everyone where they can find you and what you do. Well, I got a whole bunch of junk going on, but the best place to reach out, uh, probably go to uh, simpletonreview.com, and you can find the videos there, the podcast, and, and all of our written reviews that we do. Awesome. Uh, and the link will be in the show notes, so those of you who uh, use the show notes function of your podcatcher will be able to just simply click a link. Perfect. And for the rest of you, uh, fucking Google it. Yeah, easy peasy. Yes, indeed. And with that, we're going to cut into a quick break. And when we come back from that break, we will be talking about a patron requested review for Molly's Game. Hello, listeners. I want to talk to you for one second real quick about the Golden P Movie Awards, referred to lovingly as the Golden Peas. Every year... I take the opportunity to celebrate the year in film, and 2020 is no different. Please head over to 2peasonapod.com slash goldenpeas and find all of the nominees as well as links to a ballot that you can use to vote. Voting is open from January 29th until March 1st of 2021. We feature all of the main categories that you will find at shows like the Golden Globes and the Oscars, but we poll the film and Twitter and podcast community to get those nominees. And as you know, they are chosen by you. So please cast a ballot, head over. Once again, it's two peas on a pod.com slash golden peas. We love movies and we love celebrating movies and we hope you come to the party this year. Welcome back to our Women of Crime Spotlight episode. Uh, Dan, what did we watch? As a patron requested review, we watched Molly's Game, starring uh, Jessica Chastain. Well, fine, if you don't want my money. You mean, if we watched terrible movies, you'd give us money? Well, sure. Mr. Caleb, welcome to the patron review segment. Yeah, uh, Molly's Game is a 2017 biography crime drama film. It's a 7.4 out of 10 on Netflix. The true story of Molly Bloom's an Olympic-class skier who ran the world's most exclusive high-stakes poker game and became an FBI target. Uh, This is written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, based on Molly Bloom's book about her life. Uh, And it it does indeed star Jessica Chastain, as well as Idris Elba and Kevin Costner. What did you think of Molly's game? Also, Michael Sarah's in also it. Also, Michael Sarah's in O'Dowd. it, uh, playing the character of Player X, also known as uh, Toby Maguire. As for what I thought, <laughs> it's all right. I like Chastain's acting. I like Idris Elba's acting. I don't like Sorkin's direction in this. Like, this is his directorial debut in terms of a feature uh, film, and. <sighs> I don't know. I feel like two hours, 20 minutes of this movie is a a, a bit too much. Like, it feels like when Sorkin writes a script, he has to have somebody oversee it, parse it down into something that, you know, I don't say is watchable, but is more watchable than this. Like, uh, uh, I don't know. I feel like there was a lot of stuff in here that could have been parsed down in a way that made it 
not feel like such a chore to watch. And and I'm glad that whoever Sorkin got to help him out with Trial of Chicago 7 reined him in a bit because they chopped off about 10 minutes of that movie and uh, that movie is pretty great. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I don't know. It's kind of typical of the genre. Like, it jumps back and forth and, like, kind of shows you why things in her life turned out the way they did. And, you know, it's like, oh, my dad was mean and I was, I could have been somebody, but then a bad thing happened to me and kind of, it does, you know, it's kind of a fill in the blanks, uh, true crime movie. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, it was pretty good. I thought Jessica Chastain was good in it. I thought Idris Elba was good in it. Uh, I wish Kevin Costner was my dad so that I could have been somebody. You know. Oh, I thought you were going to say, I wish Kevin Costner was my dad so he could abandon me. <laughs> so I could have had a dad. <laughs> the big reason, so this came to us from Bubby, and the big reason she wanted us to watch it is because. Molly Bloom is actually a customer at the hair salon she works at. Yeah. Hopefully she doesn't get fired over this, but... I don't know why she'd get fired, unless she's like, I saw your movie and I won't stop talking to you about it. Uh, I I feel like my girlfriend is, you know, a little less socially awkward than that, hopefully. It's not like she didn't write a book about her life. And then sell the rights to adapt it to a movie. Right. Yeah, like, if if you don't want people to talk about you, don't write a book and don't it may have a movie made about you. Like, it's, it's that simple. Um, I don't know. I, this one, I don't have a lot to talk about with it. Like, I, I, I like Chastain. I almost feel like Molly Bloom had, like, script supervision over this because, like, I don't think she comes out looking bad at all. And maybe that's how the no, events not at all. the events really happened. But ultimately, like, I, I don't feel like this was a warts and all kind of biopic about her life. It was just like, oh, here's the and all part. Like, there's almost no warts other than the fact that, like, they showed her having spinal surgery at, like, 13. But then she still overcame that. Like, she over, like, every obstacle she yeah. overcame. And then it's like, oh, she she was a, an addict, but, you know, like, she uh, she did the right thing and went to rehab, so it's a health issue. She's not a criminal. Right. Except for the felony that she did. Right. But, like, it's white-collar crime, and, like, she just, like, they portray it as, like, you know, she did the wrong thing one time, like, to try to protect herself, but, like, she just kind of ended up in this situation with a bunch of dangerous people and you know but it wasn't really her fault right she didn't know and that's kind of like a, a theme throughout this entire episode in terms of reviews is people getting in over their head with organized crime and not understanding what they're really getting into like when that that dude comes to like beat the shit out of her and take all of her money and her jewels and her gold bars, it's like, oh, she had no idea that they would, you know, that she was getting involved in organized crime and they were gonna come fuck her up. So like, I I, I guess she, like she says it too, like she was pretty fucked up on drugs, so she didn't really 
vet anybody anymore. She was just kind of like going with the flow and just trying to make a bunch of money. Yeah, she just needed card players for Tobey Maguire to swindle. Yeah. Which I'm not sure how... And I th- and I thought that he was so nice. Yeah. I'm not sure how everyone came to the consensus that he was the the guy that, that Player X was supposed to be. I, I'm sure, like, her book actually, like, lays out better clues than this. But it, when I did my research, they were like, oh, yeah, it's Tobey Maguire, for sure. I'm like, okay, cool. How does everyone know yeah. this? It's like she calls him Player X in the book, and then... Says about how one time he came to the game wearing his Spider-Man mask. <laughs> Riding on Seabiscuit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are like the two, well, technically four movies that I know him for. Man, he was like the thing in like mid-2000s. And then he just stopped. And then not so much, yeah. yeah. He was in that movie Brothers, I think, with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I think that's what it was called. I can't remember, though. Oh, that's the other thing. I had to look Tobey Maguire up on IMDb. That's the other thing I know him from, uh, Pleasantville. Oh, yeah! When was that, like 1999? 98, yep. Yeah, close enough. Damn, that's actually a a solid movie. It's a really good movie. So, I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't have much to say about this movie. I don't have many faults with it. I don't have many, you know, excellent things to say about it. I think everyone's, you know, doing pretty okay in terms of performances. I think Idris Elba and Jessica Chastain are the two best. I mean, Idris Elba gets this Oscar scene in the uh, in the deposition room where he's just like yelling at the prosecutors that like this woman shouldn't be charged, and she's just solid throughout the entire thing. Uh, the script's fine. Uh, I just think the direction is overall probably lackluster because I, I feel like somebody else would have looked at Sorkin's script and gone, oh, we have some fatty bits that we could probably chop down here a little bit in order to make it a bit more punchy. Like, it, it didn't feel like that normal Sorkin mm-hmm. punchy script. Yeah, I feel that. The movie really is pretty long. I don't know why it's as long as it is. 220. Yeah. It's longer than the action movie that we watched. Which one? Well, I say action movie. Uh, I Care A Lot had action sequences. Oh, yeah, but... yeah. I was like, what action movie? I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's... Yeah. But, but, like, I also feel like action movies do best at 90 minutes. Like, you really have to be pushing pushing everything for a two-hour action movie. Uh, and and the best two action hour like two hour action movies I can think of is probably like Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about Molly's game. Yeah, I don't either. I, it's fine. Yeah, it was a movie I watched today. I'm glad I watched it. The scene where she's skiing and the fucking thing hits her boot and causes her ski to fall off is fucking horrifying. So. Uh, I think actually that was probably my least favorite part of the movie was the whole like first ten fifteen minutes or so, because it's just like her talking over things happening, which as we all know is like my favorite thing in in movies. But eventually it comes out that's like <laughs> basically I think it's basically just like Idris Elba is reading her book, so he's just kind of like reading her life to read <laughs> up on her. I think that's how they were trying to frame it. 
I guess. I don't know. Anything dealing with, like, spinal injuries kind of freaks me out. And, yeah. like, it shows uh, her exposed spine as she's getting the surgery to correct it. We... <laughs> which is awful. We made the mistake of starting to eat lunch uh, right as we started this movie. And then that showed up. And it was like, well, I'm just going to keep eating. And Ashley kind of paused for a minute. <laughs> That's a big yikers. Scoliosis, 63% scoliosis, or like 63% curve, or whatever it was. Whatever, How are they define scoliosis? It's like, oh, that's horrifying. But good for her pulling herself up and becoming a, a near-Olympic-level athlete, regardless. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. For not being a hunchback, I guess. I don't know. It's a shame she couldn't swing some, some bell ropes or some shit. Anybody else remember The Hunchback of Notre Dame? Yeah. The movie was really good. It's been a while since I've seen that. Alright, Dan. What are we doing next week? Alright, what else we got on the show? Uh, we didn't have anything really scheduled before, but uh, you and I came to a consensus to just watch Space Sweepers, which came out earlier this month on Netflix. It's a Korean sci-fi film where... I guess it's firefly I guess that's the best way to uh, to describe it. So, I haven't watched it yet, but uh, based off of the trailer, that's kind of how it felt. Was kind of like Firefly. And uh, at, for our third segment, it will be a cautionary tale of Netflix, and it's your choice. So hit us with that awful movie you'd like us to watch. I think this time I'm just I'm just gonna do something dumb and fun, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm I'm choosing. 2005's Doom. Oh, man. Uh, starring Carl Urban, Rosamund Pike, and Dwayne Johnson. Now, Rosamund Pike, two weeks in a row. Yeah. So, like I said, uh, video game movies are coming. This was an early attempt that kind of didn't do great, but uh, I remember seeing it in theaters, and uh, it has one pretty cool sequence that I'll get to talk yeah, about. So, yeah, we yeah, will both get Doom. to talk about it because I'm pretty sure it's the best sequence in that movie and the only reason you ever talk about it. The only reason you watch yep. it. So that's it. What's funny is that uh so Gerald did uh his drawing for the patron commentary for March, I think it was, and his his son picked uh Doom, this movie, and Under the Silver Lake. Uh, out of a hat, and then his son picked Under the Silver Lake. So, Gerald, you technically get to watch Doom as well. Hooray! If you follow this show and do what we do. Uh, it, but if you're not like that, I understand. Uh, in general, if you're not like that, somebody who doesn't listen to or watch everything <laughs> we, that we do. We get to tell him uh, We get to tell him what he missed yeah, out on. The, the one cool sequence that everybody shouldn't care about. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and with that, as to where you can find the show, you can find us at NetflixAndSwill.com. It's your one-stop shop for all things Netflix and Swill, including our social media, our Patreon page, our merch page, and our uh, Apple Podcast page. So uh, head over there, drop us a review, because uh, we've been sitting on 56 reviews for pff, ever now. 17 it's, years. It's, 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 it's been 3,000 years. I was also about to say it's been 3,000 years, so... Uh, I hope you all appreciate the, I can't remember what fucking game that was. It was the Alola. It was Sun and Moon. There we go. It was Pokemon X and Y. It was X and Y? Fuck me then. Yeah. It's been 3,000 years since I've played that game. Yeah. 
But uh, do do all those things. Check out our Patreon page. Maybe you contribute money to us. Uh, and if you don't want to get patron content, you can buy some merch instead. And if you don't want to buy some merch, at least leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That way we know that you love us. Or hate us. Why don't you listen to however long this episode's going to be uh, if you hated us? What's wrong with you? <laughs> he already washed the sheets. Why can't he sleep in your bed? Oh, uh, speaking of which, Randy really liked my Matt Foley impression uh, from last week. Uh, and I told him that there existed a video of me doing it, but it's been lost to the ether forever. So uh, I'll just get as big as Chris Farley used to be and do it again. And I had to convince you not to leap through my coffee table. I think I, I think I even said, Caleb, how much do you care about this coffee table? <laughs> uh, I continued to use that coffee table for a number of years, so it was definitely worth still having around. <laughs> Thank you to Space Weather for the use of our theme song, Bitter. Uh, Dan, tell him about stuff. Oh, the other stuff is that Space Weather is currently working on an EP. Uh, I know that Tony has tracked drums and bass. I'm sure guitar and vocals are up at, at some point, probably within the next week. Uh, so, I don't know how long album production normally takes, but be on the lookout for more Space Weather music uh, from their Twitter account, at Space Weather the Band. I think that's what... The, wait, hold on. Let me double check that Twitter account because I don't want to give you guys the wrong one. Nope, it's at Space Weather US. There we go. Uh, their their name is Space Weather the Band. <laughs> uh, good job, Dan. I love hey, thanks. you. Uh, until next week, this is Caleb saying we'll see you next Tuesday. Netflix and Swill is an independent podcast. As such, we believe in the scrappy underdogs of the podcast world. If you're an indie podcast and would like us to run your promo on our show, please contact us. The little guys need to stick together. If you enjoy what we're doing, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and telling a friend. The more we grow, the better the show will be. Thank you for being part of the Netflix and Swill family.